Jason and choir for leading us in the worship this morning. Wasn't the choir awesome this morning? I was a little worried to start with. I went back there to say, if any, I said, who's leading the choir this morning? We all had to look at each other and say, well, okay. Jason's leading it this morning. But awesome. So good day in God's house. I'm glad that you're here this morning, and I'm looking forward to being here with you this morning. Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday, and if you were here Wednesday, well, we and broke out a specific course of events that took place starting on Palm Sunday all the way uh, through the crucifixion Wednesday, I mean Wednesday, Friday, uh, but he did it on Wednesday, so I'm double thinking some things here, but a lot of things took place during this week. There's a lot of things that take place from Palm Sunday to the crucifixion. A lot of things take place from the crucifixion uh, to the resurrection, but a lot of events took place on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through. These are some some interesting things in last week. If you were here last week, one of the events that took place in uh, Thursday of that week was the Garden of Gethsemane event when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane uh, and, and prayed that God's will would be done in his life. As some of the things that took place during that. And so these are all important events. But Palm Sunday is one of those important times in history. It's a day in history. It's part of history. It's part of the Christian history. But it's an important time. It's Palm Sunday. It's one week from Resurrection Sunday. It's the beginning of the last week that Jesus lived on this earth. It's the beginning of the last physical life that he lived on this earth. The beginning of uh, the last day or the last week of his ministry when he shared things in that last week. And he had been doing things for the past three years. He'd been ministering several, uh, heavily over the past three years. Miracles had been taking place. And, and he'd been teaching people, teaching the disciples of what they needed to do after he was gone. But he was preparing the church, even though the church was not mentioned until Acts, when you see the early church. But Jesus was preparing the disciples to continue on after he left. And this is the same thing. And when you think about the life of Jesus Christ, you think about prophecy, prophecy being fulfilled, things that had been predicted many, many years before they actually took place. And so we're going to look at Palm Sunday specifically this morning because there's a lot of events that take place on Palm Sunday that are prophecies being fulfilled. And that's what's significant about that. Palm Sunday is what we're dealing with today. It's a significant day in history. It's a day when many of the different prophecies about the Messiah were, were fulfilled. God's Messiah were fulfilled. While it represents an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, it is significant because of events that took place on this Sunday prior to the crucifixion on Friday. And that's what we want to think about because this whole week, this is Holy Week is what we observe as Christians. And, and so during the week, there's, there's sessions at lunch all during the week this week at different churches where different things will be uh, preached on. And I'll be preaching tomorrow morning or tomorrow at noon at First Baptist on the, 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 the sayings, the first of the ones of the sayings that Jesus said on the cross. Yeah, when, when, when basically he says, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. So that'll be the passage tomorrow. So if you're available around lunch tomorrow, that'll be one of the first things we talk about tomorrow. But this is the beginning of that week, the Palm Sunday, the final week of the ministry of Jesus. 
and the end of his ministry from a physical standpoint, but not the end of his ministry. You think about it. When Jesus was preparing, he was getting us all ready. He was getting the disciples ready. He was getting his followers ready because his ministry was going to continue on. His physical body was going to leave. He was going to leave them. The Holy Spirit was going to come and indwell inside of all of his followers, and his ministry would continue. So when we look at Matthew, and you can look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke. You see some variables in the, in, the, in the way that they describe it. But in Matthew's account this morning, we're going to look at Matthew's, what he looks at. He describes Jesus as a mighty king. He, he describes Jesus with royalty, that he's a king. He's the, the, the mighty king, and he will be the king when he ushers in God's kingdom, and he is the king. But Matthew, being a numbers guy, paid very close attention to detail. And inside of the, the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see when we look at his passage of Scripture, he's very uh, meticulous about the detail that he records, about the events that take place, how they match up with Old Testament prophecy. Matthew was a, a very meticulous about what he was recording. Now, there is some slight variables and some slight variations when you look in the Gospels about this event that took place. But Matthew was very meticulous about what he wanted us to know. About, and, and it was very important. When you look at first century Jews, when you look at these Jewish people, it was very important to them to make sure that they knew exactly that this Jesus, this one that, that had been performing all these miracles, this one that had been teaching, this one that had been speaking things that they sometimes didn't understand, it was very important that he was the Messiah, that he was God's Messiah. And he had told that to, to several people. But you know, what did he say? As soon as he told them that he was the Messiah, as soon as he healed a body, what was it that he would always tell them to do? Nothing. What did he tell them to do? Well, think about it. When Jesus said, when he touched, when he healed the leper, you know, he would say, go show yourself to the priest. But when he, when he would heal some different people, he would say, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell them who did this. And occasionally they would say, you know, certain things when we would heal the blind person. He would say, you know, I, I heard his voice, but I never saw his face. I'm not 100% sure. Jesus would always tell them to, to keep it on the down low, so to speak. It wasn't time to tell people who he was. He would let them know he was the Messiah, but it wasn't time to announce it up until this particular day. He would tell them to keep it under, under wraps for just a little bit. The theme of Matthew's gospel is royalty. It's authority as, as a king of Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew quotes the Old Testament so often in his passage of scriptures, in, the, in his gospel, he goes to the Old Testament many times to show that Jesus, in fact, would fulfill prophecy. When you think about it, Jesus had been fulfilling prophecy since day one, right? And prophecy said he was coming. Prophecy said how he would get here. Prophecy said where he would be born at. All these are prophecies. He'd been fulfilling prophecies throughout his ministry. He was indeed the promised Messiah that was going to usher in God's kingdom. If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We'll be in Matthew 21, starting in verse 1, reading the first 11 verses. Matthew 21. When they had approached Jerusalem, and they had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, 
the Lord is in need of them, and immediately they will send him. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Verse, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, a foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt that had, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city were stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. A lot of history, a lot of things, you, and you read the scriptures, and you're looking at the passage of scripture, you wonder, well, what can I take away from this? How can I apply this to my life? How can this affect me? What's going on with this, this issue? But, but this is things when we want to look at what's going to take place, events that are important in history, events that lead to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and what he is and how things are, are related back to Old Testament prophecy. History reveals that the First Palm Sunday, and this is the first Palm Sunday, and there's a reason for that, that it was during the Passover time. It was during the Jewish holiday where Passover was a time when they would all come together into Jerusalem. Now, you think about how many people would gather together. There were people from all around, from inside Jerusalem, outside Jerusalem, would come together. And there's, there's studies that show that there was around 2 million people They come together for this feast, for this week, for this time of this Jewish holiday. Two million people. Can you imagine that? All walking in, bringing their donkeys, bringing horses, all coming together, all working around together, all just kind of working a lot, all together celebrating this Jewish holiday. This was the only time in Jesus' ministry when he actually planned and promoted some type of demonstration. And there was a reason for it. But this is the first time that he had planned it. This is the first time that he promoted it. This was the first time that he was going to reveal who he was. And up until this point, he had always cautioned people not to say who it was. But things are about to change. This week is going to be something different than all the other weeks combined have been. And we know that he deliberately avoided public Access. We know that he avoided things when the Pharisees would be closing in or other people would be closing in, that he would move out, that he would go away. Sometimes he withdrew from him, uh, withdrew from other people to be alone so that he could be in prayer. And we know that he never wanted to promote anything until this particular day. So let me ask you a couple questions. Why did Jesus plan this demonstration? What was important about this particular day? Why did he plan for this to take place? What did this event mean to Jesus? 
When you look at it, the things that he talked about and the things that were coming together, what was so important about this particular day? For one reason and one thing along, it was part of being obedience and being inside of God's will. It was the main part that he had focused on. He knew what was coming. He was omnipotent. He knew what was about to take place, but he wanted to be inside God's will. He'd been saying that all along. He'd been working inside of God's will. We know in the garden that's exactly what he said. Not my will, but your will. That's what he wanted to follow, what God wanted him to do. Now we will look at the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem in this manner. You think about it over 400 years before this took place. Zechariah prophesied that that the Messiah would enter into his final week in this particular manner. And you think about it with Jesus' new prophecy. Jesus knew the Old Testament. Maybe he was just going to do it because that's what it said. No, this is part of God's plan. He was obeying God's word and fulfilling the prophecy recorded in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. You think about it. What sticks out in that verse of scripture when you look at that? What sticks out about that, about describing Jesus Christ? He's your king coming together. He's riding on a donkey. But the word humble is one that sticks out to me. When I read that passage of scripture, I see that humble and riding on a donkey. Jesus Christ was humble. That's a significant word in Christianity. That's a significant word in Jesus' ministry. Humble is the key word in the ministry that he had. He wasn't meek, but he was humble. Humble is something that he tried to teach the disciples. We are humble when we approach him. The prophet could only apply to Jesus Christ. Man, this prophecy could only apply to Jesus Christ because he was the only one. When you look at this scripture, he's the only one who has credentials to be the king of Israel. He's the only one who has the key to be the king for our lives. Jesus was openly announcing to the people that he was indeed the king of Israel. He was the promised Messiah, and he was the one that they had been waiting their whole lives for. And he was the one that had come. He was not only the Messiah, he was God's Messiah. Let's look at a few things that are important in the past. You know, we've opened up God's word, and we've discussed different types of animals that have been in scripture. You know, one of the focal things that we talked about was sheep and how important sheep were and how important the shepherd was. These are these are things that are important. Sheep are part of God's creation, but they need constant guidance. They need direction. Sheep tend to wander off. They need to be led. And you think about a sheep. A sheep will follow the shepherd. They don't have to have a rope on them. They don't have to have a leash on them. They typically will follow the shepherd because they're trusting in the shepherd. They're trusting that he's going to lead them to greener pastures. They're trusting that he's going to lead them to uh, water where they need to drink. That's what sheeps do. Sheep follow because they often get lost and they often get need to re- redirect it. That's the thing about sheep. And we talk about that. You know, uh, in, in Psalm 23 refers to the sheep and the shepherd. That's the most important thing about that, about what David had to say about the sheep and the shepherd. But when we look at our passage this morning, we're going to look at yet another animal. 
when we look at the animals, we're looking at a donkey. There's a completely different issue with a donkey than there is a sheep. But there's some, some importance about the donkey and how important it is. Okay, let's look at the donkey. Donkeys are considerably different than sheep. All right, Donkeys are noted to be small animals, but they're noted to be strong. A donkey can carry more weight than it weighs. It's a lot stronger than it looks. It's a small animal, but it's able to carry a lot of weight. That's why it's referred to as the beast of burden. It takes the burden on itself. The donkey is considered an animal of peace. Is that amazing? The donkey is an animal of peace. That's what it looks like. It's hard to imagine that a donkey is associated with a king, but it is. You think about it. For 80 miles, when Jesus was in Mary's womb, he rode on what? A donkey. All the way to where he was going to be born. He rode on the donkey in the beginning. But donkeys are considered to be a a royal animal. A royal animal for kings. Today, that would be like riding in a Rolls Royce. How many of y'all have a Rolls Royce? I don't have a donkey either, so I guess that makes it about, about the same. This was not the animal that kings normally arrived on. When kings arrived for war, when they arrived for battle, when they were leading their troops, what were they riding on? Horses. They weren't riding on donkeys. This is a completely different thing. This was not what the normal king arrived on. The donkey was an animal of peace. The horse was an animal of war. That's what it represented. A donkey is an animal of peace. It's most fitting that the prince of peace would not be riding on a horse. He'd be riding on a donkey. There's a complete difference in that. It's most fitting that Jesus Christ was riding on the donkey because he was offering peace. He was riding the animal of peace, offering peace, and offering salvation that we all need. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, it's so rich. When we look at verse 2, Jesus sent two disciples out to get the donkeys. He sent two disciples to get two donkeys, one older donkey, which was the mother, and one colt, which is the foal referred to in the Bible. Two donkeys, two men went after the donkeys. They had a specific reason to get them. One was the mother donkey, and one was the the young donkey. Now, you think about this. The donkey, the mother donkey, had been trained to carry the load. She had already been broken, so to speak. She was used to toting weight on her back. She was used to being worked, and and many years had taken place, and she was accustomed to that. But you look at the, the colt, This is described as a colt, which means it's never had any weight placed on its back. It never did. And you think about that. Anybody that knows anything about horses or animals, what's the first thing that happens when you try to put weight on the back of a horse or a donkey or a mule? It's not a good ride, is it? It'd be a little bit on the, the rough side when you think about it, all right? So, so think about it. The adult donkey was used to carry the load and would have known what to, what to do and would have been gentle in spirit, would have been submissive to the rider, but the young colt would have been unfamiliar with carrying the load, and so therefore there would have been some, some friction that would take place. This could prove to, to be very difficult when any weight was placed upon its back. By nature, donkeys are a little bit stubborn. Y'all ever heard of that? We don't use that phrase stubborn as a donkey, do we? What do we use the phrase? You're stubborn as a what? A mule. Seems like a very similar uh, trait, but that's what we use, stubborn as a mule. But donkeys tend to be a little bit on the stubborn side. And a little bit of research says this, that they might be a little bit hard-headed at times. How many of y'all have donkeys? None of y'all? They're stubborn? They're hard-headed? You ever ridden a donkey before? But the thing is, is they're loyal animals. 
they're loyal animals. They're, they're symbols of peace. They're strong animals. They're good protectors. You know, many farmers get donkeys to put in there with their livestock for what? To protect them. It protects them from the coyotes, protects them from the, the animals that try to, to get into their livestock. Maybe we should get some, some donkeys and put amongst the sheep. Amen? We got some donkeys in there amongst our sheep. I'm, I'm meddling right now, right? I'm not a, are you a donkey. Never mind. Let me know. Whew, Lord, I knew that was going to be bad. Colt never been ridden, and yet he willingly bore the burden of Jesus riding on. When you see that, see that he, they laid the coats, coats on the back of the donkeys. They laid uh, the coats on them, and he sat on the coats. He sat on the colt. He sat on the, the young donkey. And that's the difference in, in what uh, it shows that he's the king. It shows that he has dominion over all animals. It showed the power that he had. The coat had, colt had never been ridden, and yet it willingly uh, bore the burden of Jesus riding on his back. The presence of the young donkey's mother might have helped, man. It might have kept him a little bit calm, but you think about it. Keep in mind that the rider was the king who had dominion over everything. And we look in Psalm 8, 6, and 7. This is more prophecy coming out. It says here in Psalm 8, 6, and 7, You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild are under his dominion. Amen. The fact that Jesus rode this untamed animal, kept in control the whole time, proved that he was the Messiah, proved that he was the king over everything. The colt did not need any training or conditioning. You think it, the, the mother had probably had years of training to, get, to, to haul her load. This colt didn't need any training. It didn't need any, any teachings. It didn't need anything other than Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few things together. What did the triumphal entry mean to the people of Israel? So I want you to keep in mind who was there and all the different people that was there. What, keep in mind that, that there's at least three different groups of people that are there together. We're talking about the Jews that were living in Jerusalem right outside of Jerusalem. That's one group of people that was there. Another group of people was those that came from Galilee into Jerusalem for the, the Passover feast, the Passover holiday. And the other group was those people who had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. All these people that had been following him because they wanted to see the miracle worker. They wanted to see the miracles that Jesus was doing. And the Bible says they welcomed him. When you see that they welcomed him, they rolled out the red carpet for Jesus, so to speak. If they'd have had red carpet, that's what they would have done. But instead, they, they broke limbs and, and branches and put them on the road for him to, to travel over. They put their coats on the road. They essentially made it the, the route for a king, and that's what they were doing. The Bible says they, they spread out their garments before him. And they waved palm branches as a symbol of peace and victory as well. They were welcoming the king. They're welcoming King Jesus into the town. They quoted Psalm 118, 26. It says this, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. While the crowds may not have fully understood the significance of this day, they may not have understood the significance of the events that were about to take place. I mean, they were looking for relief. They were looking for peace. That's what they wanted. He was the promised seed of David. They all acknowledged that this is the one that Moses has been talking about. This is the one that Moses prophesied about. This is the one that he sent in place to give us freedom. You think about it. We talked about different meanings of different towns, and Bethlehem has a, a meaning, but also Jerusalem has a meaning. It means the city of peace. 
It's amazing that Jerusalem was a city of peace, but yet Jesus was crucified in a city of peace. And the people were hoping that Jesus would bring peace that they needed. In the Gospel of Luke, when you go over to Luke and you read this account, you can see that it says that Jesus wept over the nation. I mean, you think Jesus had human emotion while he was here. He had, you know, and I can only imagine that on the cross, Jesus had a broken heart. Amen. I mean, you think about it. I can only imagine that he had human emotions. In, in Luke, it says he wept because he saw what lay ahead for the nation because he's omnipotent. He knew what was coming. He saw what lay ahead. He saw war, suffering, destruction, and scattered people. Man, let me tell you something. What do you think about our world today? I mean, look at our world today. Is there war in our world today? Is there suffering? Is there destruction? Is there scattered people? Is there people divided like never before? And Greg and I had conversations more about division, didn't we, Greg? About divided people, people divided on issues in this country like never before. I mean, it's what Jesus wept because of this. And you go all the way back to his birth, 33 years before this particular day. At his birth, the angels announced what? Peace on earth and goodwill to men. The Prince of Peace has arrived. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus offered peace to all who would receive it. And this is important. You'll not know it, nor you have peace until you know the Prince of Peace. Amen? If you want peace, you've got to know those, the one that provides peace. You've got to know Jesus Christ. He's the only one who provides peace. You'll never have peace unless you have a relationship with the one who provides peace that surpasses all understanding. Significant that this crowd shattered peace in heaven because that's the only place there is peace. We have limited temporary peace on this planet, but in heaven there's permanent peace. There's peace beyond anything we can imagine. Let's look at this together now. The nation wasted an opportunity. The nation wasted an opportunity because God himself entered into this world through Jesus Christ. The, the creator of the universe, God, who, who keeps things in motion, who keeps it all together. Jesus Christ, who was there in the creation, those that, that, that willed it together, walked on this earth, and the nation rejected him. They, didn't, they wasted their opportunity because he was here with them. They were ignorant to their own prescriptions. Now, let me tell you something that's important. The next time the king arrives on the scene is going to be a little bit different. Jesus is not coming back riding on a donkey. Does the scripture say that? It doesn't say he's coming back riding on a donkey. It's going to be completely different. Revelation 19.11 says this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he sat on it. It was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. Jesus is coming back for one purpose, and that purpose is for his glory, humility, and to defeat all of his enemies. What the Bible says that the armies of heaven will accompany him and he'll be a sense of victory and he'll defeat his enemies and he'll establish his kingdom. Amen. It's a repeated theme of scripture that there can be no, uh, no glory without suffering. And when Jesus said that, man, it can be no glory. I got to do the suffering. I got to go to the cross. There's no way to get to the glory without the suffering of the cross. There's no way to, to get it done. In Luke 24, 26, Jesus says this. Was it not necessary for the, for the Christ to suffer these things in order to enter into glory? Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday for a reason, for because of God's unconditional love for people. 
Man, he entered Palm Sunday knowing what was going to take place on Friday. He entered Palm Sunday knowing everything that was going to take place up to all the, all the turmoil, all the beatings, all the, the pain that was going to be inflicted. He entered this particular day because of his love for people and because he was submissive to God's will. He knew what was ahead, but yet he went ahead anyhow. He went ahead anyhow because of his love for each of us. Palm Sunday prophecy was fulfilled, and everything was completed according to the mission that Jesus had been sent here for. Let me just finish up with this. The last five days of the physical life of Jesus were significant to the work that he fulfilled during his earthly ministry. He walked every step, one step closer to the cross. Every single step he took was because of his love for the Father and because of his love for people. Because he loved each of us so much. He believed that there were over 2,000, it was believed that there was over 2 million people in that crowd that entered Jerusalem that day on Palm Sunday. Many were hoping for a miracle. Many wanted to see a miracle. Many wanted to see the miracle worker, and there were yet still a ton of people who wanted him just to be silenced, who wanted him to make him quiet, to, to shut him down. But here's the question for you to go home with, all right? My question to you this morning is, has to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the question. You know everything that's taken place. You know everything on Palm Sunday that took place. You know why it took place. You know the love that Jesus had for you. But let me just think about this. Where are you in the crowd of two million people? Where are you standing in in reference to the cross? Where are you standing in reference to Jesus Christ? Where are you at? Are you getting as close to Jesus as you can, placing your own garments on the ground and allowing him to walk out the red carpet? Man, are you rolling out the red carpet for Jesus Christ in your life? Is that the way you are? Are you as close to him as you possibly can? Man, is, is that your desire? Man, I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can get. No questions asked. Are you acknowledging him as your Savior and Lord? Can the people closest to you in your life know that you're devoted to the Messiah? Do they see it? Can they tell it? Is there any question about it? Or do you follow him from the distance, keeping your shouts of Hosanna to yourself? Man, do you think about where we're at as far as the cross is concerned? Because here's the thing is we're all there. We're all there. You know, we're all at the feet of the cross. We're all there, but where are you at as far as your relationship with Jesus Christ? There's only one right answer to this response, and that is total surrender. And that's not always easy. I mean, that's not always easy. Obedience isn't easy, but total surrender is not always easy. It's one of the responses that doesn't come naturally to, yet, to us, and yet we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our what? Hearts. Mind, soul, brains, everything about us, 100%, we're to love the Lord God our, uh, with everything that we've got. And we're love our neighbor as ourselves. God loves us so much. And he sent Jesus Christ to, to endure this week from Palm Sunday all the way to the crucifixion. Man, he loved us so much that he was willing to send his son to die on the cross for us. He loved us unconditionally. He offers heaven as a free gift for us. And we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's amazing that God would even give it to us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And there's a, a difference between perishing and living. And that's what happens when we leave this world. When we pass on and we leave this world, we're either going to perish or we're going to live. And the difference in perishing and living is faith in Jesus Christ. That is the difference between placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ eliminates perishing and it guarantees living eternal life with Jesus in, in heaven 
Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. We need a Savior. We were destined for hell. We were destined to, to go into hell without any kind of intervention, but God would not let us go. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man, we inherited a sin nature from Adam. Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, nobody forced them to sin. Satan didn't even force them to sin. They, were, they sinned on their own free will. That's why we have free will to make the choice whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God in his wisdom solved the problem by sending Jesus Christ to the cross for me and you, for each of us. So that we could have salvation. Romans 10.13 says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about anything that's going on in the past. Because the past is in the past. And we don't live in the past. We live in the present for the future. And that's what Jesus Christ says. We live, we live for the future. He says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll put your name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll write it in the, and it's permanent. You cannot take it away. And the Bible says that. And he, Jesus Christ says, my sheep know my name and I know them. They know my voice and I know them. And nothing can take them away from me. Amen. That's one of the most significant things. Friends, when our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're either going to be eternity in hell or we're going to eternity uh, with the Father in heaven. And whatever decisions we make on this earth determines where we spend eternity. Perhaps today you want to make sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you'll spend eternity in heaven. Maybe, maybe you've just been contemplating and maybe you've been thinking, well, I'm a good person. You know, I think I'll, I'll be there. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, let me tell you, the Bible says you can know where you're going to spend eternity. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to guess about it. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all. If you invite him into your heart, you make him the Lord of your life, you turn your life over to him, you, you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you turn away from worldly ways toward Christ and you follow him, it says he made it that simple. I mean, it's just that simple. There's no works involved in that other than in submission and giving him your will and turning your will over to his will. If you open up your heart to him, he's just and he'll invite you in. He'll come into your life, and he'll change your life like never before. It'll be a, a radical change. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, I'd love to talk with you more about him. Maybe you've been thinking about turning your life over to him, and today's a great day to do it. Today's a great day because you don't want to go to bed tonight. You don't want to close your eyes until you know for sure that if you don't wake up, you will wake up in heaven. Amen? That's what we want to do this morning. And this is where we have a time of invitation. Let me tell you, invitation is so important. It's a time when we tune everything else out. It's a time when we just reflect on a conversation, a vertical conversation with, with each of us individually, with the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what other people want to do. It doesn't matter what other people are doing at all. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters other than you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's important. So in a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you don't know Christ, this is a good day to come to know him. And if, you, if other issues, maybe, maybe you're looking for a church home, and this is a great place to call home. Pine Hill is a, a serving, working church. God, God's got this church on fire, and it's serving and it's working. Man, you want to be part of that, that movement. Maybe there's others that 
just need to come to the altar and lay something at the feet of Jesus. Maybe there's something that you just want to put down in front of Jesus and say, Lord, take this from me. Lift this up for me. Help me through this. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you can pray where you are, but you can also bring it to the, to the cross if you want to. Whatever the issue is, this time is set aside for you. Father God, I come before you this evening. God, I just pray and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love. God, I just thank you for loving each of us so much, God, that you wasn't willing to let us go. Father, that you sent Jesus Christ to this earth, to this world, God, because there needed to be a sacrifice, and there needed to be a, a perfect sacrifice, and God, Jesus Christ filled that void. God, I thank you for, for salvation. I thank you for giving us that opportunity. And God, if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you. God, just pray for others in their congregation, those that are in need of making decisions, those that are in need of, of prayer. God, I just pray that you would move among us this morning. And God, that we would feel the power of the Holy Spirit in this building like never before. God, I just pray that you would touch lives as lives need to be touched. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.